when my wine was cold from like we're sitting at the table and then my wine was cold the waiters and waitresses they screamed <gasps> and got all ex- excited and i remember i stood up i forgot about the people who were sitting at the table i stood up i ran to them we jumped up and down and got all excited and then i remembered oh yeah i need to shake hands <laughs> and i came back and shook hands at the table You are listening to the Journey on Earth the podcast where each week I the host Olerato uncover journeys in wellness, business, parenthood and so much more. I created this podcast that will not only validate and value our stories but will motivate us to have the courage to continue to build the stories we want for ourselves. From time to time I like bringing you some deep dive conversations with incredible guests to uncover their journeys and topics highlighted. They also share their secrets to cultivating a good life. So tune in for some good conversation every Tuesday. Hey hey, welcome back to the Journey on Earth the podcast. Today's episode is the very first guest episode of season 3. I had to reserve this episode that was recorded late last year for the season. I remember on the day we were supposed to record this episode, I excitedly announced on Instagram that I was going to interview the first black female winemaker in SA, but On the day of the interview, the interview didn't actually happen because the load shedding happened. You can imagine. However, because this was a very special guest, she managed to still spare me time on her very, very busy schedule, guys. So today, I'm really excited and delighted to be bringing you our conversation with Usisintiki Biela, who's the founder of Asilina Wines. From the hills of Zululand living in a small village where the only alcohol they drank was a homemade beer umkomboti and now to the world as the first black female winemaker in SA with the wine brand to her name that is loved by the wine lovers of this world In today's episode I had the honor of having a conversation with a lady herself Usisintiki Biela In our conversation today she takes us through where her life journey actually began how she got to become the first black female winemaker in SA, how she started her own business Asilina Wines, her biggest lesson and highlights in this industry, and the topic I love the most about mental health. What does her downtime look like? How does she self-care? There's a lot that I personally took out from this conversation today, but I'm going to leave it to you. So do enjoy. So even though I know you from the internet and um now I hear your voice. <laughs> now I can hear your voice and I hear you. Now there's a person behind the pictures that I've seen. But from the little that I know, I want you to actually introduce yourself to our listeners who isn't Ziggy. Where did the all, the journey all begin and where you come from? Okay. So um I am from Bazulunatal. Mm-hmm. um I grew up I grew up with my under my grandmother's guidance I think majority of South Africans mm-hmm. actually we um we grew up under grandmothers I know that some people they always think like if it's a, chi- a child grew up with grandmother they lack discipline and all and I always feel like those are the most disciplined people actually actually so I grew up with my grandmother I was looking after cows you know doing all the other stuff not much on doing um house chores as a child as I was growing up so I was more on the outside mm-hmm. uh working outside and um I went to school finished high school and I think because there was no financial backup in terms of me going to tertiary mm-hmm. uh the next step was to find a job 
And so I got a job as a, as a, as a domestic worker in Durban. And I worked there for a year. And that was there when actually this opportunity of studying winemaking came about. Mm. Um, I was actually, I think while I was working, um, I had applied at Mangosutu um, Technicon because I was going to be studying chemical engineering. Um, my uncle, whom actually I was working for, had said, okay, fine, you're going to do your chores in the morning and in the evening, you, I'm going to pay for you to go to school. Mm. You know, so it was a nice trade-off here. And I was like, oh, yes. So I was excited. And, but when this scholarship came from high school, um, I was like, I'm going to take this. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing, I had no idea what it was. They said winemaking. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Uh, all I was thinking was hunters and crossbows. While actually what I'm doing <laughs> is something completely different. So, um, and then basically from there, I agreed to come to Stellenbosch. And when I had an interview with South African Airways, who were the sponsors, I remember when they asked me if I know that it's in Afrikaans. And I was like, oh, no, I'll learn. Like, you know, this enthusiastic kid yeah. who like just say, oh, no, I'll learn it. I'll learn, you know, everything. I think I was taking it, which was good, naively, easy, saying, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do because I didn't see myself that well. If it's something that has to do with school, why is what's going to be difficult? Yeah, you know. And then when I came to Stellenbosch, that's where I was like, "Oh my goodness, all white." You underestimated it. Campus. I was like, "Oh my word, it's all white people." I can't hear what they're saying, mm. and then I flipped out. Yeah. But how were you able to navigate that? Well, I think. Um, when I got, I remember when I got to Stellenbosch then, mm. um, because our, the person who had recruited us, which was Chablan Jangase, mm. uh, who was based here in the Western Cape, um, he was staying in Mum's Spirit, driving us up and down, obviously, with other students to get to campus and all that. Um, like, all he was saying, you guys have to study. Like, basically, this is what he all said. And I remember talking to one of my friends I had met at the university and she was like, because I think when it started, you know, you know, you're not understanding anything. Yeah. So the stress of it, I started crying. I started, like, I was like under pressure. I remember calling my sister and saying, I'm going to fail. I've, I've dreamt I failed and I'm going to fail. And, you know, like you, you see this picture, with, you know, this is not going to happen. But I can't, and, and at the same time, like, but I can't go back home. Like, you know that you can't, you don't want to go back home. Mm. You're going to fail. The university is going to kick you out, but you don't want to go back home because you want to continue studying. Mm. So this friend of mine, she's like, no, just go to student counseling. They, they, they might help you out. And I was like, okay. So I went to student counseling and told them the same thing. And they were like, no, but there's nothing we can do. I was like, no, there's something you can do. Mm. But again, what, what do you, how do you talk to somebody who's crying? Because <laughs> <So, laughs> they're telling me what they're telling me, but they're crying. So you, you have to console them. So, and they were like, okay, fine. You have to see us every, once a week and we'll talk to the university and they won't kick you out and they'll give you a second chance. Mm. So then I had a backup. I think that's all probably I needed for me to be relaxed. Mm. And then, because I knew now I've got a backup. So then I focused and studied and I passed my first year mm. um, through that. And I think, again, one of the things is understanding that like there was no option Mm. Maybe there was an option. I just didn't want to see any other option. I'm one of those people when I've been, when I'm focusing on something, I'm like, this is it. Mm. 
Mm. I ignore any other thing. This is it. And it has to work. Mm. So I knew that I don't understand the language. I knew that uh, I don't know the cause that I'm studying, um, the industry and all that. And one of the things also I did was to get a job and work in one of the wineries in the industry. Yeah. So that I could learn about the wine, so that I could learn about what I'm actually studying. And so yeah. I did that. And I think that was, for me, that was one of the fun part of being at the university yeah. because I was working at Delheim Wines on weekends to come back with bottles of wine. Wow. <laughs> Free wine as a student. Wow. <laughs> so that was nice. Um, I think that was, I was working because I, I needed knowledge, but I was working also because I needed money. Mm. So, and I think the good thing for it, I remember when I started working and I, was like, I said to my mom, she, she can stop working because then I'll be able to support it. Because what I was earning over a weekend is what she was earning a month. Sure. I was, yeah, I was earning 280 rand a weekend and she was earning 200 rand a month. So sure. I was like, no, I'll pay you. I also like what you just mentioned now. Like, even though many of us black people, when we go to university, there is a pressure that you must perform and you must leave the university with a degree. But I like that you also mentioned that when you don't have too many options, you know that working on that option, that one option you have, you'll make sure that you succeed in it, actually. Yes, because you're putting hundred, you're putting hundred percent, you're putting everything and all into mm. it. Mm. You know, you don't have any, you don't try to say, let me do this, and then, but there is that other part. Let me also nature this because then you don't put hundred percent on the one. So you know, mm. I, I think the importance of putting everything and all in when you're doing something, um, for me has been one of the key things in everything that I do. Mm. You mentioned that. Um, you got declined for other grants application to get to university, but you had this opportunity to do viticulture, to study viticulture. Looking mm. back now, I want to ask you, looking back now, what would you say rejection taught you? Because I'm one of those people who believe that nothing happens for no reason. Everything happens for a reason. What would you say rejection taught you though? For me, it has been one of those that there's, there's something bigger for me. Mm. You know, it, it was just because there was something bigger for me. Other than that, because if I look at it, if I got accepted because I wanted to study chemical engineering, if I, I got accept, uh, accepted because I wanted to study civil engineering, my question, would I have been able to start my own company? Yeah. You know, w- will there be that, you know, um, drive of having a company, um, mm-hmm. of, 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 of building a legacy of, you know, I, I don't know if they, I, I wouldn't know, but... Mm-hmm. Where I am, I'm, I, I think because I was destined for something bigger. Yeah. Would you say that you did see your life unfolding this way? Like seeing yourself where you are right now? Back then. Yeah, especially that you grew up knowing <laughs> Umkombo, you know? Mm, absolutely not. But all I knew was um, I wanted at some point mm. to have something. I didn't know what it was. So, yeah. So now to dive deep into your wine story, um, which drew me to your story as well. You've been in the wine industry for over a decade now. I believe you started in 2004, right? Yes. 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 Please unpack how it all began. Well, um, I think when I graduated, mm-hmm. uh, I had applied for different, com- from, for different companies to get a job. 
And one of the things when I graduated, I was like, Lord, help me to get a job in a small company. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds ridiculous when I say small company, because like, but why do you go for a small company? Because big companies usually have perks and whatnot. Yeah. And all I was looking for was like, a small company, I'm going to be able to work in every aspect of the business. I'm going to like literally work everywhere. Mm. And that is what I got. I got a company where I was working as a winemaker. I was involved in the vineyards. I was working at the tasting room, marketing everywhere, mm. basically. I was the winemaker, but I was basically involved everywhere. So and it gave you good exposure in a sense. It gave me good exposure. It gave me, I learned, you know, when you first learn about winemaking, mm. you you have the theory, you come to the practical world and you realize that, oops, okay, theory, hmm, out the window. Not out the window, but let's apply a bit of you here. Yeah. And then you, you work with the people. And because of it's a small company, you are the key to go negotiate with the farmers for grapes. You are the key to go do certain things. So it forced me to introduce myself to the industry. Mm. It basically forced me to be out there. You know, I had to be out there and um, attend seminars. And I remember some seminars I'll attend and I'll be like, where are the women? (laughs) Some seminars I'll get there and I'll feel like, ouch. And then at some point I got used to it and that you like, you don't notice. And then some days you notice, some days you don't. Mm. So um, like that, that helped me. And uh, slowly I started getting introduced to start talking to the, to the customers go outside, introduce the wine, talk to the customers, do presentations. And I even remember um, when I had to do my very first presentation. Mm. You know, I think, again, when you're being put in a place where it is exactly where you're supposed to be for Mm. your growth. Because my boss at that time, he was, when we went to do a presentation, he's like, okay, we're going to all stand up with you so that you're not scared. (laughs) You know, it was like one of those, because, ah, terrified you know standing in front of people and you have to talk and everybody's looking at you yeah so and then he will talk about the company you know and then i'll talk about the wines themselves just focus on winemaking and wine and mm. then the viticulture will be there the viticulturist and he'll talk about viticulture so it was like and slowly i had to take over talking about the viticulture side and the winemaking and then after a while i had to take out and basically deal with the whole process of mm. talking to people and talk about the wine, talk about the company, represent the company. And so I got used, that's how I got used to actually even standing in front of the crowds and talking about the wines and talking about anything, basically. So sure. there was growth. And one thing also I learned was, because I was a very visionary person, he is still, but one thing he did is like, I'll have a meeting. And he will ask us, do we want coffee or tea? And one of the things I think people underestimate in life is that when you are the boss or you're the owner of the company, it means you must be served. Mm. But actually, you are the one who's supposed to serve. Mm. That's how I looked at things that actually running a company, you are the one serving. Because even those people you are hiring, you're serving them in the sense that you need to advise and, you know, be of service. So you're yeah. like a servant leader in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so th- there's a lot of things that I learned. 
um, besides just running the company. And I got involved, obviously, to look, start looking at the cash flow, doing my own budgets. and do, So I got involved in everything, everything. So I got prepared to say, when you start your company, basically, you, like, you, you've got the, the tools mm. um, and the know-how. So, yeah. yeah. So, in a sense, you would say that, like, starting in a small firm or a small company, it's key in a sense that it exposes you to more other roles than just one role, right? Yes, ex- exposes you to more roles than just one role. And I think one of the things is, um, which I always tell, I'm, I'm involved with the Pinotash Youth Development Academy. We're training young people through the value chain of the wine industry. And I always tell them that, you know, this thing of job titles, stop aligning yourself with a title it's just a title there is no job that is if there's a job that needs to be done it doesn't matter what it is you are employed yes as the whatever manager or whatever that's just a name Mm. but if the floor is dirty pick up a broom and clean the floor if there is some visitor coming they need to be attended make some tea make them comfortable Mm. Um, like it, it's just not going to take anything from you. Instead, it adds value to you as a person. So I think I used to f- get frustrated when I hear people say, oh, no, it's not my job description. And I'll be like, oh, wow. Ah, you know, it's like job yeah. description. Yeah, you see. So you don't grow if you're going to be aligned with job descriptions. And mm. yes, do whatever is being described as your job, but go beyond that. Go beyond that in life. Serve. I also read that even when you were in that company still, um, one of the wines that you crafted won an award. How was that moment for you? (laughs) Well, I had a couple of different wines that won awards, actually, while I was working. But I think the the, the one that I mostly talk about is the one that, the very first one. Mm. Because for me, it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable wine, in a sense that it 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 was a memory. It created memories. It created a stamp. And I remember it was a it was a, a, a Cape Cross, mm. um, the very first blend I made. And when it when when I when I went to the awards function, I think we were like probably two or three black people in the in the event. And when my wine was called, from like we're sitting at the table, and then my wine was called. The waiters and waitress and waitresses they screamed oh. and got all except, excited. And I remember I stood up. I forgot about the people who were sitting at the table. I stood up. I ran to them. We jumped up and down and got all excited. And then I remembered. Oh yeah, I need to shake hands. <laughs> and I came back and shook hands at the table. And then, um, and then I went to pick up my, my medal. Mm. But I think what marked the milestone of that wine was I took that wine to my grandmother uh, because it was the wine that had won a medal. And I was like telling her that this one got a medal and whatnot. And I opened the bottle, poured it into cups, excited, going to drink with my grandma. And she took a sip and she was like, it's nice. And the facial expression... <laughs> You know, when somebody has just drank something that's very sour. Yeah. Or, was this her first wine? Yeah. 
that was the first. <laughs> that was the first one. <laughs> when someone has drunk something very sour and like, like she was like, it's nice, but the facial expression was saying something else. Um, but through that, I could see she was so proud. Yeah. You know, she was just proud. Mm. And my grandmother was one of those who. Well, I think when, when people just ask me who my role model is yeah. or was, and my grandmother was one of those, for one reason, um, her, her strength, her spirituality, her, like she, she had all the strength, the courage of, she's one of those people that you know, they will do something. Mm. Her love, her embrace, everything for me was just, you know, yeah. and yeah, well, she could shout at you, damn. <laughs> she, she could shout at you when you're doing something wrong, but damn, we'll run back to her. You know, yeah. she, she, she was just an amazing and a remarkable person. And I see like you talk about your grandmother a lot. Like in every article I read about, your grandmother was always the matriarch of the family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just noticed that part. It's like, yeah. Well, yeah. she. She, she was the key person, you know, key person mm-hmm. in my life, key person. Well, I think I'd, I'd talk more about her, even more about her than my grandfather, even though, even my grandfather, I was like, you know, the kid, you know, yeah. the one kid that my grandfather will have our own conversations mm. who nobody should know <laughs> just for, for us. But yeah. But I think it's because I spend a lot of time with grandma. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, because my grandfather passed on earlier, far earlier. Yeah. So um, while I spend more time with my grandmother after that. Okay, that makes sense. So you were named the first black female winemaker in South Africa. Do you ever have any pressures of being the first in that field, especially the first black female in that field? Well, I remember at the beginning, um, I was talking to my boss and I said, I can't do this. Yeah. You know, and I said, the pressure of this that I need, that means now I need to live my life in a certain way and all that means now I must play a role model thing and, you know, Mm. um, the whole pressure and stuff. And he sat me down. (laughs) Like, I, 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 I still remember that when I walked into his office, he was his his sister was still also working with him. So I get into their office and I sat down on the floor just next to the door and I said, I can't do this. And she's he's like, What? And so I explained to him. And he was like, Okay. And then he stood up and came in front of me and was like, No, it means you must just live your life the way you know how. Yeah. It's it doesn't mean anything actually. Just live your life the way you know how and do things that makes you happy. And I was like, just like that? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yes. So, yeah. He was one of those people. Like he, something that I would take as, I would get stressed about. And he was like, oh, no. You know, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. What would you say has been the hardest thing, though, that you learned in this industry? Hmm. The hardest thing. See, one of the things, the way I look at things sometimes is uh, I don't look at them as stumbling blocks. Mm -hmm. I always look at things as sort of 
a challenge that wants me just to step back and come back at a high speed and jump over. Wow. Um, you know, so when I started in the industry, I was, I remember I was scared. One of the things I was scared of is because from the university, the experience where you realize that you are the minority and being the minority, you've been asked, I'm going to call it stupid questions. Mm. Like, what are you doing in an African university if you can't speak the language? But it wasn't about what you're being asked, about how you're being asked that question mm. in, a, in a way that makes you feel small, like, you know, you don't belong here, kind of. Yeah. So, and for me, it was more like when I get out to the out of the university, getting into the industry, whom I have had a little bit of taste while I was working at Delhan to see, because they used to take me to seminars. Mm. And when I'll get to seminars and I'll find it's all men and they're all white and I'll be thinking, dear Lord. Um, I remember one, one of the general managers who had taken me there and I stood at the door and I said to him, I'm not getting in. Sure. And he was like, he grabbed my hand and he's like, if you don't get in, this will never change. So we're walking in here and then we walked in. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's meeting people like those who mm. actually say, you know, we, we understand you're scared, but we're going to hold your hand and walk with you, you know? Yeah. So um, when I got into the industry, so I had that picture in my head and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have such a problem. And I got in and to my surprise, I could pick up a phone and call remember the first time I had to call a winemaker asking for assistance and I had never met him, like, mm. never. I went through the John Platter and I just called the number and I was like, I need help. I've got my analysis and I don't know what to do right now. And I was like, okay, just scan them, email to me and then he called me back, gave me advice. I thought, oh my word. Like, mm. you know, when something happened and then you don't believe it and you're like, yeah. eh? did it just happen? Is it like that, mm. you know, and, 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 and slowly I started going out, meeting people, meeting winemakers, meeting viticulturists, meeting farmers. Well, there were those who will like, they'll see me and they're like, ah, you can't be a winemaker. They won't say it in words, but you can see. And they're like, uh -huh. okay, but I'll ignore those because for me, it was about the ones who are saying, we see you. Mm. What, how can we help you? And with those, I focus on those because those that like you focus, you, you know, when they say what you feed grows. Yeah. So I was feeding that part of positivity other than the negative part. Hmm. So, and because I fed that part and everything just was, I remember asking my, one of my uh, consultants was helping, was helping me at Silicon Consulting. And I'm like, why is it, was it easy for you to assist me and consult for me? Because I was like, since I had started working with him, like he would teach me stuff. And now I'm like, this one day, I'm like, but why? Why is it so mm. easy for you? Why did you feel that you need to teach me as much as you're teaching me? Mm. Not holding back information. And he was like, it's because of your attitude. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. So, and, you know, so it, it was one of those. And I remember one of the guys in the industry, you know, there are those people who tell you stuff that you don't want to hear. You know the truth. You don't want to hear it because it's not nice. Mm. So, <laughs> there's this guy, Jacques Fauré. 
at some point, like, you know, when somebody, because we we're talking about um, starting my own company, and he's like, why haven't you started your company? And I'm t- giving me all the excuses why I haven't. Mm-hmm. And he just went straight to the point and told me things. I remember I walked out of the office, I banged the door and I walked out and I was angry. Sure. I'm angry at him, but I know he's telling me the truth. Mm. You know, when you know somebody's telling you the truth and you're just feeling, it's painful. Okay. I hear you, but it's painful. Just don't. <laughs> so I, I once in a while remind him and I'm like, do you remember? And he goes, I don't remember, but I'm glad it worked because here you are now. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So, like you said right now, you left your job and you decided to pursue um, being a businesswoman in winemaking. Tell me about the story behind Aselina. We spoke about your grandmother and I know she's the story behind Aselina. Tell me about this. (laughs) (laughs) And how were you able to leave your job, to finally leave your job and start your own company? Very tough to leave a job, you know. Mm. Um, so what happened was in 2011, I spoke to my boss and I said, I want to start my own company, my own brand. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, sure. Wow. Most winemakers do that. And I was like, okay. Like, so I was like, oh, just like that, mm. you know, cause I didn't think he's going to just literally go, oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Like, you know, Yeah. while I'm still working. And support <laughs> you. Mm. <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh, okay. And then I started the, the, the brand and as, um, I worked with Wine for the World, another company in the U.S. Um, and they introduced me to a winemaker in the U.S. We started a collaboration wine. Mm-hmm. And that's how basically I started with a collaboration one with another winemaker. And then the wine was imported to the U.S. by Wine for the World. And the profit came back and I saved it. And then I made the second one. And... We did it as collaboration in 2012 and we did a collaboration in 2013. And then in 2015, because I was still working for Stelikaya, I got um, selected to for the African Women Entrepreneurship Program by mm-hmm. the U.S. State Department. And I went to the States for three weeks. Basically, we're going through different trainings. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I, I learned when I was there, because I was with... You know, when you're in a place and you're like, how did I end up here? Mm. Because the people I'm with, yes, we've got things in common, but at the same time, we've got nothing in common. In a mm. sense that these are multi-million dollar companies run by these women. Sure. I'm not like, I've got nothing. <laughs> it was, was like... Okay, you know, and talking to women who are running multi-million dollar companies, and one of the things that came out of that is that in these countries, these women are not allowed to own companies wow. because they are women. Sure. Their companies are registered either by the son or the husband who's got no clue of the business. But they wanted to have their own companies and they had to go through that. Yeah. And for me, it was like, what is holding you back? Because you can register your own company, have it on your name. You don't have to register it under anybody. So there was that. And then um, I then I remember it was one of the days, some of the ladies, they were like, let's meet and have coffee. And I was like, okay. Like, no, actually, we're going to do wine in your room. 
was like, okay, fine. So it's a gathering mm-hmm. of friends because I've made friends in this. So it was um, a lady from Zimbabwe, uh, Kenya, uh, the Gambia, Nigeria, uh, I think one from Malawi. And so we got into the room and then we're chatting and while we're chatting, they go, and then I think there's the lady from Kenya. She's like, so tell me, why are you on drugs? Hmm? I look at her, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? And like, guys, if you're talking about wine being a drug, then yes, but I'm not on drugs. You know, and literally I got taken aback hmm. and they were like literally serious and looking at me and I'm thinking, guys, what are you talking about? And then they say, and then she's like, no, but your salary is your drug. Literally, wow. I was like, they're like, no, it is. Because why haven't you left the company you're working for? Why haven't you focused on your company? And, and I was like, oh, my word. You know? And the way I got taken aback with the comments and stuff, I was like, I had to think about it. But I know that I wasn't scared. I was just thinking, if I stop... Then I've got a bond. I've got this. I've, you know, you know what things we have mm-hmm. that hold us to do anything. And so I was like, okay, fine. And then I came back. So that conversation ended and it was great. And I came back. That was that encounter. And then there was a, the lady who had asked us, why do you want to do what you want, what you're doing? Mm. I had to, and I realized that being at my job, I had forgotten why I wanted to start my company. I had forgotten. And when that question came up and I was trying to think, no, why did I want to start the company? And then the light bulb came on and I realized why I wanted to start the company. And I felt so bad and I was feeling ashamed that I'm delaying other people and, you know, all these things that comes with that. Mm. So I had two things that like were literally pushing me to the direction. And when I came back, it was September, November, I resigned. And then I sent my, my mentor an email to say I've resigned. He freaked out. He's like, how can you resign? We don't have enough money. Sure. I was like, I don't know. And then I sent my importer in the US. I'm like, I've resigned. And she goes, we haven't started selling the wine. I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but that, that's how it all happened. Wow. And basically it was just, you know, you need a certain push sometimes. Mm. Well, there were a lot of things that had happened in between. And so that helped me to get to the point of saying, okay, this is it. I have to, it. yes, I'm finally doing it. Mm. And um, I think, not that I think it was a good thing to do. Yeah, it was a good thing. The timing was good. But one of the things I learned after jumping off is that, you know, when you're leaving a job, a secure job to start a company, mm-hmm. one, before you start, I'm going to start talking to people, I'm going to start my company, you know, and people are, oh, yes, that will support you, will buy from you, will do this. Mm-hmm. When you resign, when you resign and you start the company, do not bargain on people who said they will support you. Yeah. Do not. Two, do not bargain on funding. And three, do not bargain on banks. So how did you do when it? You, <laughs> when you started... <laughs> I'm wondering now. <laughs> when you're starting a company, say, 
I'm going to start it. Come rain or sunshine, I will paddle. I'm going to find, I'm going to get to the waves. I'm going to get thrown off the boat. I'm going to climb back. I'm going to do it. But know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Because if you're doing of this is all about money, you're going to wake up the next day and you're going to say, nope, not doing this. Mm-hmm. But it has to, because money, you have to make money. That's like, for me, I always say money is the non-negotiable thing that you have to make in the business. Mm-hmm. You have to make money. Why are you doing business if you're not going to make money? But that shouldn't be the reason why you're doing a business. Why you starting your business? Yeah. Because it's not going to make you wake up in the morning. So how I did this whole thing was, because I remember after I had resigned, yeah. I had spoken to some people who were like, oh, no, we'll buy the wine. And then when you approach the people, they go, they start going, uh, we'll see, you know. Mm. But I had one person we were doing the collaboration because she had started and we're selling the wine slowly. So I said to her, because I had bottled the wines that I had, I had made under Aslina. Mm. Just that the wine was there, but I hadn't started selling it. So Aslina was your wine alone without collaboration, right? Without collaboration. Okay. Because the collaboration wine was called Suo. Mm. So this was just the wine without collaboration. And how was Aselina received to, in the market? It was, it, it, it was like people have been waiting for it. Mm. So I said to one of the importers in the US, uh, in Texas, I said, just buy enough wine that I can get myself a flight ticket to get there. Wow. And he was like, okay, fine. I think he bought about 30, 40 cases. Mm. And I said to him, you know, that's not enough, right? And he's like, no, you just... Clients, customers are not gonna, you know. I know my customers; they're not gonna just jump into the wine. I don't know, you know. Um, and I said, "I'm telling you, it's not enough because I've been on the market." And he, and he, I think he his understanding of his clients was more about it's the wine only. He forgot that it's also about the person behind the wine. Yeah, and the and story then, behind the wine. Exactly. Mm. And then my importer in New York, she had bought a pallet of each, which was about 700 bottles of each. Mm. And I said to him, like, damn, that's a lot of wine. Now, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to sell that. Like, I was scared of that part of it. And I was like, oh, I wonder if we're going to be able to sell all, all of that. And she said, you're going to come to New York. We're going to walk the streets. And I said, okay, fine, cool. I'll do that. So, and then we went, I, 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 the, the one who bought, and then I went to Texas. Literally within two, three stops of clients, we were sold out. Wow. And I said to him, you know, I'd have got a week with you, but now we don't have wine. He's like, I know you're going to tell me you told me so. And I was like, yeah, I do want to say that I told you so, but I'm going to hold that back because you've said it yourself. Hmm. But it was just phenomenal. But what we did then, we just did functions just to create awareness with the wine. So we didn't sell what we had. We kept behind so that we just do tastings. For people to taste and you know so everywhere we went we'll have like few cases to sell and literally everything will disappear and so it was great and i went to new york and we walked the streets we literally walked the streets and we sold and by the time i was coming back i was coming back to ship her more wine mm-hmm. so it was it was amazing it was amazing it, it was overwhelming and i remember launching we had a launch at kaya wine bar I had never filled that bar when I did tastings before. I had never. 
on my launch, it was packed. People were standing. Wow. And like, I was overwhelmed. I was like, you know what, God, I know that you're showing me that my thinking was small. Yeah. But like, it was, it was just, it was, um, it was humbling. It was mind blowing. It was, it was beyond my imagination. I'll put it that way. So everything came full circle. Everything. Wow. And it, it's one of those where I'm like, you know what, God, thank you. You know, it's, it's, um, it is a blessing. It is because not everybody get that chance to say when they release their product in the market that people want it, mm. that you find yourself, that you've got product, but you, you don't have product, but you've got people who wants the product, mm. you know, to have that good problem. That good problem. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but yes, it is a really good problem to have. Yeah. And I think looking at that, we started with like with a collaboration at 1,800 bottles. And now we are doing 30,000 bottles. So, yeah. Sure. What is your favorite from your line? Oh, my word. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Favorite. Yeah. I, I, it depends what I'm going to do. Okay. It depends what I'm going to do. One thing I know is that when I've got my mentor coming from the U.S., Mm-hmm. I've got different mentors, by the way. So, <laughs> so I was going to say mentors. That's how you said she, they were from London. Yeah, I've got different mentors. That's so nice. there's one from the US. She's a winemaker. She's actually the first woman winemaker. Wow, in the in, world, in the US, or oh, in, in, in the US, okay, in the US. Yeah. Um. So when she when she comes to South Africa, mm-hmm. um we meet and I'll take my Bordeaux blend and the Chardonnay for dinner and she'll taste that and we'll have a discussion on that. Mm. And when I get home and I feel like a red wine, I open a cab and drink that. Okay. Um, And the Sauvignon Blanc, it's just one of those where it's like open without thinking. Mm. So they, they all have basically something. Okay. And then Umsasana, when did it come in? Musasana, that's the blend. Oh, it's a blend. It's the blend. So that's the one I actually use when I, my mentor is here. So Musasana, I started with the 2015 vintage, while I had started with the cab in 2014. So 2015, I did Musasana. And again, one of the things is like, when you do something, have a belief in it and doing something for a reason. Mm. I remember when I was saying, I'm naming this wine, Umsasan. I had been talking to my friend. I'm like, I need a name for this wine, but I know it has to have, you know, you know, you've got a picture. And my friend said, okay, you know what? You know that you need to, for you to come up with certain things, you are a person who has to be, get back to yourself. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know. Getting back to myself. Well, like when I'm hectic, I, I don't, I'm going to call it, I don't think. But yeah. Um, so I remember I was going on my way to France um, while I was like, you know, approaching the landing, flying over the vineyards in Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on the window seat and just looking down and think, and I had been, my thinking, I was have going through beautiful memories with my grandmother and laughing at myself Aww. and like, and just having that. And then I'm like, hey. My blend is going to be called Msasan. 
and uh-huh. I laughed. And then immediately when I landed, I sent a WhatsApp message to my friend. I was like, listen, here's the name. And she goes, you see, <laughs> you got it. And so I spoke to one of the, obviously the brand people, branding people in the industry are known. And I said, so I showed her the bottle. And she was like, I don't think people will buy this wine. Because who, what, what's that? Who? And I said, no, but it's got a story. So I like, yeah, but still. And I said, you know what? We call the French wines. We don't even know how to pronounce them. And yeah. we call them by the name and we buy them. And I said, yeah, but this one, those who want it will buy it. Mm. This is the favorite wine in the U.S., Taiwan, Japan, Netherlands, Germany. Wow. Oh, even South Africa, actually. Let me, let me say, start at home <laughs> and go to Swaziland. Like, people will go, umsasan. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's just, yeah. Where do we find it? Where do we find it? For those who don't know, where do we find it? In SA. Okay, um, Ultra Leakers. Okay. Actually, because um, yeah, Ultra Leakers uh, stock my wines. There's be, they've been really uh, playing a very good support in my business. Mm. Um, Ultras in stem in terms of you know, as I talked about, forget about banks will not. <laughs> <laughs> not they they ask you for collateral. They ask you for all this, and you're thinking. Ah. <clears throat> <laughs> I've got stock and they go, it doesn't count. <laughs> so um, they, they, they've, they've managed to give me a loan when I needed a loan. Oh. And so it's been like, it's been great. And the High Road Winery also gave me it. You know, when you, the High Road Winery, remember, they gave me a loan saying, <laughs> here's the loan. Oh, he's it's, it's like, oh, tell me how much you need. Uh, you can pay it when you, when you can. I thought to myself, is he out of his mind? Wow. Who does that? Mm. Pay it when you can. So who does that? But anyway, so there was that. It's, it's relationships that have been built for years. And so, yeah. I was about to ask, actually, from that point, what has been instrumental in growing your business then? You mentioned relationships. It's relationships and also it's being out there. Hmm. You cannot stay, you need to walk the streets especially with the, wine, with the wine industry. You have to walk the streets. You have to go knock at the door, come with your bottle of wine and say, taste. Mm. And, and, and give people to taste the wine, promote the wine. You, like, you just have to be on the streets. Okay. You have to be on the streets. Um, I travel a lot. And I know people go, oh, that is so nice to traveling. And you're like, um, I get to New York. I say to my importer, okay, fine. You, uh, can I sleep on your couch? Wow. Sleep on the couch, go to the shops, go to the bars, sell the wine. Mm. And that's how the company has grown. We are now in nine states in the U.S. Wow. So, yeah. So just coming back to the places that sell our wines, it's Ultra Leakers, it's Norman Goodfellows, it's um, Dry Dock, and uh, restaurants that have been selling actually for a while, The Godfather has okay. been selling from the beginning also. And I know that there are a couple of restaurants that I'm missing. Oh, uh, La Cacino di Chiro. Mm. Gratitude. Okay. They've got the wines. Um, yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of places have our wines. Okay. What would you say has been your greatest highlights throughout your journey? Oh, I think graduating at the university for me was a, like a one of the 
milestone achievements. I don't know what to call it because it felt like you know when you just you 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 achieving something that you actually saw as not as impossible, but damn, it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and so graduating and winning the woman winemaker of the year. Mm. And having the gold medals of the wine, but to top it all, just starting Aslina has been amazing. Yeah. It has been the road worth walking. Mm. So yeah, that's the one I think. And then my wine moment was drinking with my grandmother. Yes. So that uh, yeah. I don't think I'll ever have a wine moment that would beat that moment. Mm. Don't think so. Mm. So how do oh, you yeah. see the wine industry change over the years, especially in South Africa? Well, I think what is happening is when I look at, first looking at the wines itself, is that um, winemakers are very adventurous now. They are very innovative. They are trying new things. Uh, trying new blends, trying new wines, new cultivars, trying to work in a different way. And also the wine industry is trying to look at ways of making things, uh, looking more on socioeconomic things within their communities or within their surroundings. Mm. So it's not now, it, it is not about now just putting, like, looking at yourself. It's more looking about other people. Mm. Yes, not everybody obviously is going to be doing that, but this is the path that most people are taking. Um, and on the marketing, I think the South African wines are now st- are in the global stage and are being recognized. While previously, it was tough outside for South African wines. I remember 2007 arriving in the US saying, going to a wine shop to give tasting. And you're like saying, oh yeah, we come with South African wines. They go, oh, like, and you can see that people are, <laughs> they don't want to. Mm. And yeah, because they like thinking it's bad or something. They'll give you all the excuses. Mm. And came 2009 and they were like, when you like, I've got South African wine, they go, oh, what do you have? Mm. And then they'll taste. And now when you say, I've got South African wine, they go, oh yeah, come. And you're like, hmm. So it's, there is that change now yeah. that uh, South African wines is being recognized. So, yeah. That's amazing. So now to close up the podcast, to close up this chat, the conversation, you've certainly been an example, like from the journey from where it began, that where you come from does not dictate where you're going and literally takes willpower and hard work to reveal where you're going in life. And moreover, that overnight success does not happen. It takes a long journey to actually build your business. And to so yes. many women out there, I believe you're inspiring so many women like me. I want to ask you though, for an advice for women in their twenties, because these millennials are finding so much pressure that in their twenties, they have to have something established. What is your advice to a woman in their twenties who feel the pressure to have something solid right now? Okay you're not going to get something solid right now. Mm. At 20, you're still trying to find yourself. 
let alone trying to find other things. <laughs> You're just still trying to find yourself. Mm. So I think that, yes, there's a lot of pressure we're putting on the millennials, on the young people, but in reality and in all honesty, it's, it's, it's unfair. Yeah. You know, it is unfair. And um, because there's still young people still need to figure themselves out while they're doing, trying to, you know, put the foot in front of each other. Mm. So um, I think it is important just to try and don't allow the pressure from the outside. Focus on your inside because that's where you need to build your strength, mm. build your inner strength so that you can be able to portray or do what you want to do so that you can be able to have a picture of where you want to go. And then once you get that picture of where you want to go, understand that it's going to take a step at a time and maybe one step back before you even move forward. Mm. And that is actually, there's no right or wrong on those movement of steps, but just do one step at a time. And then for those who wish to get into the wine industry, what would be your advice to them? It is important to be well-informed about the industry. I know that some people, they look at the industry, they look at the glitz and the glamour. They mm. don't see the dirty work behind. They don't see the hard and sweat, hard work and sweat and everything that happens behind. So when you see the glitz and glamour and you get inside and then you get a shock of your life and you're like, why is it not working? <laughs> because you actually looked at the wrong stuff. So I think it is important to be well informed of, of the industry and understand that when you grinding a stone or you having those two stones trying to rub them against each other to make a fire, mm-hmm. you don't just crack the stone once and it ignites. It doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. You need to keep on going and keep on going and keep on going and have a reason why you're doing that so that you're going to keep going. Okay. And how do you define success for yourself? For me, success is all about at the end of the day, do I sleep? Do I have joy in my heart? Mm. As long as I have joy in my heart, then yes, I'm successful. But as long as I can't sleep because I'm stressing and mm, 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 then yeah, then that's not success. Success is having joy in my heart. Yeah. Joy, which is being brought by friends, family, like everyone involved in my life. And whether it's business people or it's people at home or wherever and things that I do and also understanding that how do I fill my, my cup and making sure my cup is always full. Mm. Well, it's not going to be always full, but to try and make sure that it's full and to understand what is it that fills my cup, understanding my spirituality and understanding that it is important to go and say thank you. Yeah. You pointed out something so important. How do you take time to recharge out of traveling, out of business, just taking time as Usisintsiki to just rest and recharge, fill up your cup? So what I do is um, I like hiking. I like going up in, the, in nature, going up in the mountains. I'll go up, listen to the birds and just, when I'm out there, I always like to say, you know, the earth is the Lord's. And then I'll just watch, looking at all the beauty on the ground. 
and hearing the dogs barking at a far distance because I'm right on top of the mountain. Mm. And it's just nice and quiet. And again, I like going home. Mm. When I go home, sit with my neighbors, when I arrive at home, like I know that it's most of the time when I get home, one of my neighbors is like, oh, you're here? And I'm like, yes, what did you cook? And I'll just walk to my neighbor and go dish. I'm a child. <laughs> when I get home, I am a child. Mm. So I get home and like I literally just to sit on the stoop and sit and listening to people mm. talking. Not always talking about work, but where we're going to be talking about, hey, you know, here's the cows there, this, that, you know. Yeah. And just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the simple things about life, actually. The, the simple things about life. Mm. That, for me, does it. Okay. What is the one thing that you thank your young self for? That's the last question. One thing I'll thank my young self for. Mm. To be always inquisitive. Mm. I think um, if I was never curious... And if I was never one of those people like, yeah, seeing everything as, yeah, it's doable. Mm. Even though sometimes I've got no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, we'll do it, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> and at that moment, I've got no clue what I'm saying. So, yeah, I think, and I think being a good child, because yeah. I listen a lot. Mm. Being a good child, I listen a lot. Um, even when I was growing up, adults always look at me as one of those kids that you can send to do stuff. They're not going to, you know, they listen and do as they are told by adults. I know nowadays it's like, yeah, you can do this. Nah, nah, nah. Like, it, it worked for me, listening to adults. Because they've walked the path. Mm. And also, because I think we, we, as the human being, we've got this thing of undermining people. Not understanding that everyone has something to teach you. Everyone. Just a matter of listening. You know, um, I learned my wine work at my first job because of the seller supervisor. He was supposed to report to me, but he taught me stuff. He's the one who was teaching me stuff. Sure. You know, and I remember Omunyo Mabam, she said to me, when you get to that job, you're getting as a manager, but understand this, a person sweeping that floor knows better than you do. Yes. And understanding that everywhere I go, the person who's there, it doesn't matter what they do. They are in there. They know better than I do. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's been a lovely conversation with you. It's been a lovely, actually, oh, yeah, chatting to you. Um, and it feels like I just had a conversation rather than an interview, actually. Um, it was lovely just knowing more I, about I you. I prefer conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's so much better. Prefer conversations. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with my listeners. I hope they will be inspired by your journey and um, your story. Thank you so much, Ziggy. Okay. Thank you so much, my dear. Hey, journeyers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Journey on Earth podcast. Here, every listener who tunes in to listen is never taken for granted. I appreciate every single one of you. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to help the podcast continue bringing you incredible guests. 
by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. You can also share the podcast with your friends and family who may need the message from this episode. Until next time, keep on seeking and finding the things that ignite you. Keep on journeying, you journeyers. Chat to you soon. Bye.